Welcome to Meta Talks, where we bring in experts to dive deep into all things metaverse. With your hosts, Kate Hancock and Daniel Robbins. So today we have Garrett Openshaw from Moonify. The great thing is Garrett and I connected on LinkedIn. And it was funny because he mentioned that he used to live in the Philippines. Obviously, you can see here, I have Philippine Blockchain Week as my background, and Philippines has always been special to me. So I'm excited to talk to you today, Garrett. We, I think we spoke for like 15 minutes before we even got on this show. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been looking forward to connecting with you for a long time. And we kind of have circled each other, you know, and, and tried to put this together, both of us. And so I've been really excited about this. Uh, I'm excited to talk Philippines and blockchain and everything with you as well. Awesome. I know. And I can't wait to get into the company, what you're doing. I know you're working a lot of different projects. So just tell everyone quickly of how did you get into the Web3 space, Moonify, community financing, all these things? You know, where's your background at and how did you fall into this? Yeah, great question. So my background really is in media and government relations. So um, I spent over a decade in, in Asia, about 13 years in Asia. Um, producing TV shows and doing government relations. So kind of negotiating things between Washington, D.C. and Beijing primarily. And uh, so I've always and, and then I produced a, a couple of dozen different television shows in China. My company, Mojo Media Works, had the exclusive rights to all of the CBS Paramount library. So we produced America's Next Top Model and China's Next Top Model and um, Project Runway and uh, some China Idol and some other shows that were just local Chinese shows. And then I, that's what took me to the Philippines as well. So I've always been involved in media-related ventures. Um, Web3 is something that's pretty unique and different. And so a good friend of mine um, kind of told me the background is basically he was an investor. He's my partner, Taylor Perkins. He was an investor and a trader. And uh, he kind of, everybody was giving him a hard time because he was so into crypto. And what happens with crypto is like, you dig into it and pretty soon you talk about it a lot, right? <laughs> you go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah, it relates to everything. And you just start thinking about it a lot and you tell, you're excited. So you tell people. And so he did that and, and everybody was just like, you're getting scammed. Crypto's a scam. You're going to lose all your money. Finally, after a couple of years of this, his boss and family like had this like intervention in there. Hey, you need to stop. You know, this is like an addiction and <laughs> you're going to lose everything. And he's like, no, I think, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're doing all right. You know, I think we're going to make it. And then two months later, he announces to everybody, I'm retiring and moving my family to Puerto Rico. And we're going to go relax on the beach and hang out. And they're like, you're 26 years old. Like you can't retire. Like the, how's that possible? He's like, well, my investments have worked out well for me. And then everybody who was telling him like, this is a scam was calling him all the time. Like, Hey, how do I do this? <laughs> right. And so he kind of came up with this concept of starting a plat. Well, it wasn't even a platform at the time. It was more just a website with a, a gate to charge people $10 or something a month to come learn how to invest into crypto. And he would just tell them how he looks at it, what he's thinking about, what he's found, give them the basics of opening up a MetaMask wallet or whatever the case may be. 
And uh, he told me about that. And I was like, yeah, this sounds like something like I could get behind. And, and so when it was just in that concept stage, he and I and another really close friend who is also a partner in it um, had a kind of a little bit longer term discussion and just talked about all the impacts of kind of the incentive structures that you can align use, using crypto. And I was like, okay, we have to do this. And, and not only here, but we have to connect like globally and with China because this could kill it there. And I have a lot of good relationships there. And so that kind of, from that point forward, we kind of spun it up. Man, that's amazing. So how did you get into Moonify? Well, that was the beginnings of Moonify. Um, that we started off, we, we originally called it market shares because it was going to be a social media platform. We, we realized real quick one thing is like one person's insights are not right for everyone, right? And like what you need and what I need are, are there will be some overlap, but they won't be exactly the same. And what your expectations are and, and what somebody else's expectations are, there'll be some overlap, but they won't be exactly the same. And so we realized pretty quickly we need a lot of voices so that you can get what it is that you need. Um, and so we looked at it and said, instead of a website where you explain this to everybody, it should be a platform where we bring in all of the brightest minds in the space and they create content and then we can create a system that teaches people and gives them kind of insights into who these creators are. And so that they can look at it and very quickly realize who fits with their thesis and they can follow them and learn from them. And so that's what Moonify became. And then we just, we, uh, we met our technical founder um, who was at the time, he was the chief technical officer for Dash uh, Dash Core Group, which is, you know, at the time was a top 10 cryptocurrency. And uh, he left Dash and started what was market shares at the time and what turned into Moonify uh, with us. And we've been building it for about a year and a half. And uh, we we're launching imminently. So it's... Uh, well, congratulations. That's amazing. You got the team and collaboration. And mm -hmm. so... It's, what interests me is, like you mentioned, it used to be you just give money to somebody and, you know, you pay them and maybe they give you like a service or product and maybe you become passionate about it, but you can't really have a stake in it. And then obviously crowdfunding became a big thing, uh, but I still don't think, you know, a huge amount of people really benefited from crowdfunding, whether it was right. getting funded or funding. But now with everything that we're seeing here, like you mentioned, it's almost like you could, I know maybe not use the word invest, but you could put money into like a community or you could put money into a product or service and then you could get, you know, some sort of monetary value in the future or feel like you're really, you help build something. Like you're actually a part of it more so than anything in the history. And I think it's, we were just talking to somebody about movies. Like I would love to produce a massive major hit movie, but now yeah. you know, if the movie is being funded by crypto there are, there might be a token exchange where I could feel like I'm almost like a producer. Right. But not only like you're part of, like you're a producer, but the movie itself will have a greater impact because now, you know, you can, I don't know if you know who Russell Brunson is, but he, he's got some books and he's, he's just built some massive sales funnels. He's kind of a sales funnel guy. And of course, he, yeah. 
Like Every fun. time I hear a quote from him, it has something to do with a thousand true fans or something like that. Or I can't remember what the, it might be a hundred, but it's not a very large number. And it's like, if you have this many like true believers, like it can change the world because they all know a hundred people. And, you know, it's just like with, with Taylor, when he started investing in people realized not only that he was passionate about this, but that they could find success in it. Everybody wanted his, you know, he's getting 200 text messages a day asking for advice. Right. And everybody has that kind of impact in their own sphere. And if you're super passionate about a project that you're working on, most of your friends would be like, well, I have to check it out because, you know, especially if it's something as easy as a movie. And so you would have, you know, if you can tokenize something like that, two things happen. One is you can gather a massive amount of value from a community. Mm-hmm. Two is that the community itself can extract a maximum amount of value as well. So you get to A, be the fan. B, you get the ownership rights of like the clout that comes with being an executive producer, right? And you get to tell people I was a part of it. You get a you know, you, you'll get the movie posters, first releases on the walls. It'll have your name on it, you know, but those are cool things. And then at the same time, there are financial incentives as well. And I think for me, that's what, like when the light clicked for crypto, that's what it was, was that crypto is a place that no matter where you are in the, I'm going to call it a system, in an ecosystem, right? But no matter where you are in this system, Wherever you add value, at that same level, you get to receive value. And there has never been a tool set like that before. And so that's what's massively changed about it. And and I wasn't super engaged in it previously, but as I've dug in, it's just like mind-boggling. Yeah, so where do you see the future of commerce? I know you've been in the media space, so I want to dive into that, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, where do you see the future of commerce then with, so does everyone want to be a part of everything or, you know, people want to pick and choose or people just want to buy something? How do you see this playing out when it becomes, you know, larger, more people, more, more people around the world? Obviously, like you've, you've worked in, in China and the Philippines, other countries. And I mean, mm-hmm. this is so global, right? It's amazing. You could have, you know, people from all around the world supporting. Yeah. So I mean, one thing is, has become pretty clear over the past several years. And I mean, I think it was probably clear to people who really studied it previously, but it was hard to quantify maybe. But as mobile phones and web two social media became more widely accepted and now so, you know, engaged in every aspect of our lives. One, the thing that became clear is that as social creatures, as humans, like, we crave community and we also crave a social credibility. Like it's really important for us to have some form of social credibility. And one of the things that's really interesting about this, and if you look at any brand, like this is what a brand always capitalizes on, right? Like Nike, for instance, Nike makes shoes, like that's their main product, right? They make a bunch of stuff, but shoes is is what they're known for. But their shoes are not different or better than Reebok or than a brand that you've never heard of, right? In fact, they're probably made in the same factory 
uh, by the same people with the same materials, a lot of them. But what they have done really well is they get people to associate with, if you have a body, you are an athlete and we're here to support athletes. And then you're like, wow, I'm part of a community of athletes if I wear Nike. <laughs> and it's like, that's what the brand is, is it, it gives you this social validation and credibility that I'm part of this community because I have a body. And it's like, well, that's a pretty broad community. And just because you have a body, you're an athlete and therefore you should wear Nike. It's like, wow, that was brilliant. You know, I don't know how they came up with that, but, so but we all want to be part of something, you know? And so I think community is the future of commerce. Um, but it's also, it's not just the future of commerce. It's what commerce has always been. So, so would you say then that, um, the, and that's amazing. I, the ads really just taken off like genius on their part. I'm sure they have the best of the best in their marketing department. I can imagine. Or what I mean, on it, so. Yeah. Was that, you? was that your idea? No, um, right. no, not mine. Uh, so and that's fascinating. So do you, do you think then that the term influencer is going to mean something completely different then? So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. We call it influence here, in, influencer here in China. They call it a KOL, a key opinion leader. Um, and really what I think the role of influencers is, is to establish the baseline for social credibility. And so I think that that role has always been set by a member of a community. Like it doesn't matter if you're physically part of a community or something else. There's always tends to kind of rise out of that a, a person that everybody else looks to as like, I want to be like that person. You know, I want to be like Mike. Like that was, that was what made Nike really was yeah. everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. But every community has a person like that, right? And, and, and Nike's been able to capitalize by attracting a lot of those people, for instance. But we all look to them and like, okay, so that's like the pinnacle of, of credibility in this. Which ways can I be similar to that person or those character attributes so that I can also gain similar social credibility and recognition and validity? And so I think like if the, the way I look at it is influencers, although the medium has changed, they, that hasn't changed, just their reach has changed. And I think that brands are starting now to recognize what that is, what that social credibility is and that what the value of that is. And I think they'll continue to grow through influencers and influencers will continue to grow in influence. But there will also be a lot of micro-influencers who are much more influential in a smaller community. And I think that there's a lot of power in harnessing that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like you said, the, the value used to be, I have following. That might equate to people clicking on a website if I tell them or purchasing a product. But I think a lot of times that doesn't happen. I think brands have, like you said, it's just like, okay, I, I base, you know, I'm going to pay you because you have 1 million followers. I'll pay you, you know, why if you have 2 million followers? And although it doesn't mean that just because you have 2 million versus 1 million that you're going to get more purchases. So it's quite yeah. interesting 
how how brands like you're saying are are seeing the value in people and the value in their connections and their community and in other ways. So um, thank you for sharing that. I'd love to learn more about the media side because I'm fascinated. Yeah. I, I haven't seen a huge, I don't want to say disruption, but change necessarily when it comes to media. Maybe I, I just don't know of it yet with, you know, like Web3 and crypto. And I'd love to understand what you're seeing as, you know, the future of, of media, which I know media could be a million different things, but you, you've done TV and, and something fascinating K, uh, traditional cable TV for the first time ever um, was beat out by streaming. I think it was last month in percent of watch. So I'd love yeah. to hear you. Where do you see the future of media and, and how that's going to go out? Yeah, great question. So I'll speak primarily to social media because that's where we're, where Moonify is. And so it's where the majority of my thought is on this subject, right? It's like every day I'm dug into that pretty deep. So one thing that we found is that social media disrupted everything. But what I will say is that the one thing that wasn't disrupted is the incentive system, right? The incentive system was always for one big player was incentivized to get as much of everything as possible. And then social media disrupted the incentive system a little bit because they realized like these influencers uh, you know, these can be our workhorses. Like we can really take advantage of these influencers and we can give them a little piece and then we'll make a, a, the lion's share. I, I look at it like, um, I like a lot of metaphors. Um, and today this is a good one because when we're talking about media and, and Disney is the biggest player in media in the world. And now we're talking about incentive structures. So I'll tell you, um, are you familiar with Pinocchio? Have you seen the movie Pinocchio? Of course. Has anyone not seen Pinocchio? Yeah, everybody's seen Pinocchio, right? So I'm going to paraphrase Pinocchio. So Pinocchio is about a little boy who wants some social credibility. He wants to be considered a real boy, like more than anything. And he'll do anything for it. And he goes out and he finds someone who tells him, I can show, I can give you everything that a real boy wants. And so I can give you fame and fortune and everything great. Just come with me and do what I say. So the little boy says, okay, I'll do it. And he does his dance. I have no strings, right? And, and this fox is over there like, you know, and the guy collects all the money and he gives Pinocchio peanuts and throws them in a cage. Anyway, Pinocchio escapes that kind of a slavery. And then somebody tells him, that's not what you want. What you really want is, is freedom to do whatever you want. And I know this island where you can go and get whatever you want do whatever you want and just have fun. And it's going to be freedom all the time anywhere. And you can just show off your freedom. So you, they go there and they get them to act like absolute idiots, jackasses, if you will, right? Like they get them to just act like morons, breaking stuff, drinking, smoking, you know, just playing pool all day, not doing anything like for the betterment of anybody. And over time, they literally turn into jackasses. They turn into donkeys. And as they turn into these donkeys, the owner of this island now takes them and starts putting them to work in the salt mines. And they become these controlled jackasses that are there to be the beast of burden for this master, right? And it's like, that's what social media is today. It's like, it's these guys who tell you, you can come in here and be famous and do whatever you want and everybody's going to love you for it. And so people just go buck wild and turn into absolute jackasses. 
And then because they're incentivized to do that, right? That's how you get followers. And when you have followers, then you're famous. And if you're famous, then you're going to make all this money. And then it's like, it's going to change your life. And what happens is they give a little bit to those creators and they incentivize them to like, to be, to have their content be like overly sexualized, to be politically or otherwise divisive, or to just tell people whatever they want to hear. Like that's what the incentives are to do. And then it's like, these are the salt mines and these are the donkeys, right? They're doing all the work. And that salt mine owner, Zuck, is sitting over there making all the money. And he's just happy, like, glad I got these donkeys, you know? Really cheap, really easy to do. All I had to do was promise him a bunch of stuff that's totally pie in the sky. It's like that incentive structure. So, so like, we look at it like social media, it's not bad. Media is not bad. Um, we tell, we hear people tell kids a lot of times, like, you got to get off social media. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But it's not because the idea of social media is bad. Like it adds connection and capability to contact people. And I'm in touch with people in China that I could no way otherwise be in touch with. And they're really close friends of mine. And so that part's not bad, but the incentive structure is totally broken and it's not possible to fix because it's the foundation that everything is built upon. And so you got to like tear everything down to rebuild it. And so crypto and, and Web3, um, which are inseparable to me, really give the opportunity to change those incentive structures. And so like for Moonify, right? So what happens with Moonify that's very different is we, we will have a security token, which is actual ownership of the data. Like it's actual ownership. It's equity in the company that owns the data. Uh, and so they'll have control over it in terms of like governance. If the data gets sold, that's a community decision. The community owns it. Uh, if it gets sold, the revenues go out to community members based on the number of tokens that they have. Like it's split up based on that. And so they benefit in every way that a founder would benefit in starting it. But on top of that, like instead of being incentivized to just do stupid things and do things that you're going to regret later on in your life, the incentive is to give good information that will help people grow their portfolios. Because it's also, we give the tools to the creators to monetize directly from their following. And so if I'm charging you a subscription fee to come learn investing from me, I better give you information that grows your portfolio at a rate faster than the subscription rate coming out of your pocket or it's, or you're going to leave. So I'm incentivized to do that. You know, you're incentivized to find people who will help you grow your portfolio because your wealth grows. Everybody's incentivized to help each other because every person on there who owns the token benefits from everybody else in the system that has the token. And so you're incentivized to help each other instead of tear each other down. And so what, what this allows us to do is just change an incentive structure that will utilize all of the good things of social media, the connection, the information sharing, the instant knowledge, the capability to learn and grow while getting rid of all of the negativity, you know, the, the incentive structures that incentivize each other to polarize and tear each other down and be negative and just talk trash and, you know, other things that aren't beneficial to anybody. And so that's, that's what was interesting to me. That's the direction that I see everything going in. Um, my assumption is, is that as we do this and, and hopefully find success in doing this, that other people will look at it and be like, hmm, that would make sense to do the same thing for 
a subscription uh, television streaming service is let the ownership be in the hands of the community, right? Let them benefit both yeah, financially. I love that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're incentivized to make shows, to make programming. You know, I've heard companies like Netflix sometimes pay 18 months plus. So they buy something, but it takes them 18 plus months to actually pay the person that made it, uh, which is, you know, that's got to be very challenging for somebody who, you know, puts all this money out to make something like you mentioned. I almost feel like a lot of these social media platforms uh, they launch, but they don't take into account human behavior. Right. And so all of a sudden something happens and like, wow, like, why did that happen? Even though, you know, I'm sure uh, if you just look at human behavior, anyone could have guessed it was going to go south because of that. <laughs> like you mentioned, because people like to watch drama and they like to watch things that, you know, that that, uh, you know, spark my heartbeat racing, like these like violent videos that I see all the time on social now or like people getting into fights and things like that. It's um, mm -hmm. it's just sad that we're like stuck to watching that. But I really, I really like what you said about, I mean, everything there, but the TV thing though, I find really fascinating because it's recently, we've heard a lot of people that want to launch their own shows. They want to get more into that, that part of media, but there's no like great platform unless you're going to buy airtime or, you know, everything really requires you to pay money out with barely, you know, any chance of you even receiving money, you got to find sponsors. Right. And it's, as you know, it's very challenging to do this stuff and requires mm -hmm. a lot of capital with no guarantee of receiving. So I think that's great if you have the ability for everyone to collectively, everyone collectively makes great content. They win together. Everyone wins from visibility. They get more eyeballs and we build up something, a platform, and then we all really do win versus like what you said now, where, you know, if I get 10 million followers, I might not make that much money, but the platform is going to make a lot of money. They're going to kill it, right? So I think for every account, every follower there, you know, um, Facebook's making like $22 a month. Like that's wow. insane. That's insane. I didn't know that. That's insane. Yeah. And so you look at it like, what, wait a minute. Like you don't have, you're not making, I mean, I don't know what you're, rate is but it's like whatever you have in your following it's like you monetize it based on if you can you know bring sponsors in to endorse and then you're incentivized to endorse stuff that maybe doesn't align right sometimes for free sometimes for free yeah like i, I you have to promote something that's free and that doesn't even align or like even the podcast we work with some companies and they want to put ads on it the problem is I don't really control the ads and half the time yeah. the ads don't even always make sense. And it like destroys the, uh, the validity of the show and then yeah. pay, you know, a very, very tiny bit. One, a company recently said, Hey, I want to give you $40 to do an ad. And I'm like, $40, that's not even worth my time for $40. So I think of gas nowadays is not even yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so totally that it makes, I could see this and I'm glad you brought this up with Moonify and what you all are doing, but I could see this spanning many industries, uh, many different platforms, the ability to, you know, really put, put some of the energy and efforts into the people that are doing the work versus not just that single individual at the top. How do you see this though, um, from a standpoint of, you know, like I was talking about before, but on like human 
human nature. So, you know, maybe one person gets jealous of another or people just can't, you know, figure things out together. How do you see this coming where, or what are you seeing now? Like people coming together, are they collaborative? Are they not? How do you feel about that? Yeah. Um, so this is a great question. And I think it's kind of an interesting one as well. I was listening to a psychologist speak about something. I like to listen. I mean, while I'm working, I'm frequently listening to just podcasts of anything that sounds interesting to me. So sometimes it's like physics and sometimes it's psychology. Sometimes it's like, you know, uh, um, entrepreneurialism a lot, you know, finance. And then other times it's like true medical stories or something, you know, whatever. Kind of whatever's out there and sounds interesting to me at the moment. But I was listening to a psychologist and he said something along the lines of like, according to their studies, and is a well-known person from, you know, taught at Harvard and Yale and, and you know, well-respected in the industry and said, based on their studies, um, you need to have in a long-term relationship, something like between 20 and 30% of the interactions need to be contentious or, or argumentative or I can't remember how exactly he put it, but essentially that you need to fight 20% of the time that you interact with somebody just in order to keep your attention and keep it interesting. Um, and I was like, wait, what? Like, that doesn't sound right. But as you stop and think about it, you're like, well, maybe for every interaction I have with my wife, I can't say it's a fight or a contention, but certainly something we disagree about happens fairly regularly, even if it's like, where do you want to go for dinner? I'm like, oh, that sounds awful. Let's don't do that. Right. Even if it's something like that, it's like, and just to add a little bit of, of change in, and interest into your life. I thought that's really interesting. So in terms of like the human nature, one thing that I will say is I hear a lot of people wax philosophical about, especially about web three, about the metaverse, about all these things, about how it's going to you know, take human suffering and get rid of it. And I'm just like, I, I don't think that that is possible or, or even interesting. And, and when I hear somebody say that, I'm like, you need to go read Dostoevsky and <laughs> learn that like, you know, part of the joy of life is the fact that we do hard things and suffer through it and power through and decide we're going to overcome it. And that's like part of the joy in life. And and I think also probably part of the joy in relationships is two things. One is working shoulder to shoulder with somebody, right? Like that's when you really get to know them. And the other one is working through problems together. And some of those problems are self-inflicted or frankly speaking, inflicted by the other person you're trying to work through it with. I don't think that you can or even would want to change that about people because I think you would take away all of our joy in life if you did. You know, you can't know the good without knowing the bad. And so I don't think that Web3 is that. I think that it's a set of tools that allows us to better align our incentives so that the chances of that happening are less likely and that they are less likely to escalate because our incentive structures are aligned to at the end of this come, you know, have it worked out like marriage, you're incentivized to work your problems out in every way, financially, structurally, like every way you're incentivized to work it out more than to just be like, you know what? Dating, that's not true. Right. Mm -hmm. Like dating, yeah. it's like not calling her back or whatever. 
Like that's the end of it. You don't have to worry about it. But when you're married, the incentive is to work through those problems. And, and the same thing I think in, in life is that we need to figure out ways to, ins- to align our incentives with those of the media, with those of our customers, with those of our friends, with those of the people around us, with our community. And not just try to like, hey, if you have a million followers, I'll pay you X. If you have two million, I'll pay you Y. But align our value systems and our incentive structures so that everybody benefits from good behavior. And you just know that at times my interpretation of good behavior and your interpretation of good behavior are going to be overlapping but different. And then at other people, it's going to be diametrically opposed. And realize that that's going to happen, accept that that's going to happen. In some cases, embrace that because it brings some creativity to it that gives you new ideas. And then incentivize everybody to work through that rather than escalate it into something that nobody wins from. Yeah, that's, man, I have not heard this before. So I think people feel sometimes that like, Okay, I need I need to sound like um, optimistic, or I want this to solve world problems, and you know the whole world's going to be happy tomorrow because of this virtual world or whatever. This new, you know, Meta just purchased a haptic company, haptic feedback, so maybe that's going to you know solve the world problems, so we could just live in a computer. Yeah, uh, you know, it it makes I like what you're saying. It, it's so true that it's, sometimes in those moments, that's how we solve the biggest problems. Is actually during contention and, and conflict. And, uh, you know, as long as we get together and we, we understand that we can work through it. So a little bit of a change here, but when you were in the Philippines, mm-hmm. what was your favorite food? Oh, so I love crispy pata. Um, that I would say for sure, but also, you know, if you get like a green mango shake, with that salty shrimp, pepper, salt stuff. I don't know what it is exactly, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. There's something really good. And any kind of mango shake, awesome. Um, I'll tell you, so I'm six foot three. When I left, when I went to the Philippines, I was 210 pounds. When I left the Philippines, I was 265 pounds. I that. Yeah. And I was not, you know, ripped. Like I was flubber. The food there is not, it's not the healthiest. It's not the healthiest. Everything's deep fried. And it's like, you want a vegetable? They're like, what's that? <laughs> deep fried. A lot of sugar, a lot of sweet, like, like you can take like the most healthy thing and then you could turn it into like the most unhealthy thing. And that's, that's what absolutely. Makes it and what I did was took the most unhealthy thing and I lived right next door to it. So don't, uh, Mr. Donut was right next to us. And I would just, it was like me, my wife, and my four-year-old daughter. My wife was pregnant and a Mr. Donut next door to us. And it's like, I would go buy a dozen donuts every day. And just, so I, and I, in fairness, I love sweets. Like I, I, I just really like anything like cakes, cookies, ice cream, anything like that. So I have to be very careful. And I was not careful. I have the same problem, but you know what? You have an excuse though, because your wife was pregnant. So you had the sympathy weight. Yeah, exactly. If you didn't, you know, what kind of person would you be? But yeah, I, yeah, I can relate to that. I always gain weight 
when I'm there. Because the other thing too is I don't like do a whole lot of stuff. I'm just kind of relaxing. But I yeah. I know you mentioned the fort before, and BGC and the fort are you know some of my yeah. favorite places uh, when it comes to Manila for sure. It's beautiful. I tell everyone it's it's like you're living. In, I feel like I'm living in the U.S. Like if you took yeah. New York City and Beverly Hills, but maybe even cleaner. It's really a bubble. Like I can, I couldn't even believe the first time I went there that, that like that is in Manila. It just looks so different than some of the other parts. But man, it's come really far. Uh, hopefully, we can get you there to the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be amazing for you to be the Philippines reunion for you. But um, tell everyone though where they can find you, the website. Which, by the way, your website has to be one of the most fascinating websites. I tell everyone just go to this website. And it really brings back, I know earlier we were talking about the Razor phone and, and yeah. nostalgia, but I'm like, is it like a DOS platform or I, how do you even do that? Yeah, great question. So um, we started off with a very traditional website, um, hired a traditional website designer. But one thing about Taylor, um, my partner in, in our CEO, is uh, he is ultra creative which is really awesome. And so he came up with this idea and he's like, I just want to have like a terminal. And I was like, you mean like the movie war games? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, okay. So I found like a, um, you know, he's explaining what he wanted. And I found this uh, old like YouTube video. Of, I mean, in 1983, Matthew Broderick came out with a movie called war games. And basically what it was, he worked, he sat at this computer terminal, which was designed to, play chess against humans. It was about artificial intelligence, the movie. And he, and you sit down, it's like, hello, Dr. Smith or whatever. Would you like to play a game? And that's what it's, it's just like the letters and it's like Y or N. And so I sent him that video. He's like, yes, this is exactly what I'm talking about. And so, uh, it, it is, uh, it's, it's in Moonify colors, but it's a DOS terminal. So you open it up and you say, um, are you here for the financial revolution? And then it's a Y or N. And you choose one of the two, you know, if you say why it, it then says, okay, here's your next options. You know, here's your commands. What do you want to do? Um, if you, it's set up for content creators to go and apply to become a member of our Citadel, which is our top content creators. Uh, and so our, our biggest influencers will be members of the Citadel and they'll have significant governance and incentives uh, within Moonify. And so we've got a few hundred Citadel members currently when that is completely maxed out, which we'll do over the next call it year, year and a half, we'll have 2000 total members in there and they'll be able to develop governance proposals for the platform and, and, uh, the site. And so, uh, we will change it back to a more traditional website so people can actually find information about us. Um, but we did that a little bit on purpose, not having as much information, but just being a little bit more intrigue. No, I love Unlike it. war games, though, you can't launch any nuclear weapons at any any foreign powers using yeah, that. Nothing happened when I pressed Y or N besides giving me a lot of great information. So uh, if you press N, something different happens, though. So you, you got to check that out, too. That is awesome. Well, thank you. So check out Moonify. It's M-U-U-N-I-F-I for people that don't know. And Garrett Openshaw, I'm guessing LinkedIn is at your place. So I'm on LinkedIn. We're probably much, much more active on Twitter. 
And so Moonify Social, M-U-U-N-I-F-I-S-O-C-I-A-L. It's at Moonify Social on Twitter. Uh, you can see us there. We're pretty pretty active in the crypto Twitter space. I'm the only one who's active at all on the LinkedIn space in the company. Uh, and so I'm, I'm there pretty regularly, which is where we met. And I connected with a lot of people there. So that's a great place to contact me too. Just Garrett Openshaw on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, Garrett, thank you for stopping by today. And we'll see everyone next time. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And visit metatalks.com. That's talks with a Z. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.